Hey everyone, welcome as we kick off 2022. And I'm really excited about the webinar that we're running today. It's about conquering MSP sales objections. I know most of us don't like sales objections. We just want our customers to just put the money in our bank account and not ask any questions. But today we're going to talk about what happens when they do give you an objection and how to respond to it. Um, so my name is James, and I know that um, I can already see some familiar faces in the group, but I'm the CEO and host of, sorry, CEO and founder of Benchmark 365 and the host of Infinite Scale, which is a podcast that we launched off the back of a book called Infinite Scale as well. Um, and I'm also joined by Nadi Forteach, who is our business relationship coordinator at Benchmark. Hello, Nadi. Hi, James. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. And um, I think I've already spoken to some of you. Uh, my role is really to engage with MSPs who are inquiring about our service. And you can reach me. You have my contact information right on your screen. That's hello at benchmark365.com or via our website. And you can also call me. The phone number is on the screen as well. Um, and we are a 24-hour business, so more likely you will hear from me soon or at least within one business day. Cool. Thank you, Nadi. So let's um, kick off the show. But before we do that, um, a lot of people know that Benchmark is an outsourced service provider. We work exclusively with MSPs and we provide 24 by 7 services to MSPs. So people will often say, why do you do so many programs about sales or why is a lot of the content about sales? And is we genuinely believe that MSPs need to be oriented towards sales to succeed. We've studied thousands of MSPs over the last five years, and we've only been able to find one discernible difference between a high-performing, high-growth MSP and a low-growth MSP at sales. Everybody uses the same tools. Everybody's pretty much using the same vendor stack. We're all, most of us are Microsoft shops. Um, but the only difference is there are MSPs that are oriented towards sales and there's MSPs that aren't. So that's the first reason why we run a lot of content about sales. And what we believe is that the more time you spend, you know, the 80% of your time spent on sales, the more likely you are to succeed. But how do you do that if you don't get off the tools? And lastly, we really see Benchmark as an educator. And we've been putting together programs for more than five years now to help MSPs become more effective at marketing, help them become more effective at sales, and basically prosper as a managed service provider. We genuinely believe that MSPs um, that focus on growth and MSPs that focus on sales are helping bring the entire channel up um, to be successful. And so I'm really grateful that you joined me today. And there's a lot of other content that you can check out on the, on the um, website as well. Um, in particular, this webinar is a part of a series that we're running on sales. And we had one just last month that's about building your sales plan for 2022. And so if you missed that show, it's totally cool. We record every webinar and we put it up on the podcast. So visit benchmark365.com um, and click on episode 37 on the podcast page and you can, um, you can start building out your sales strategy and using some of these sales objection techniques that I'm going to take you through today as well. Let's get into the agenda. So first of all, we're going to talk about using the skill shortage to your advantage. Um, right now, there's a lot going on in the world. And the great thing about MSP is we can always leverage the current situation in order to win more business. And the current name of the game is helping customers overcome the skill shortage facing their business. We'll talk about the 80-20 rule, how to master the sales process by getting more of your time and energy focused on sales. Why objections are a positive thing. Most people think objections are negative. But objections can be a very positive thing for your MSP. How to focus on real prospects and eliminate time wasters. I know many of us have had inquiries over the years and they haven't gone exactly where we'd like them to go. So how do we eliminate those and make sure that we're only focusing on real business? How to design and control your sales process. How to get control of the sales process and project manage it. How to preempt or probe for objections how to turn objections into much bigger deals than the ones that you're doing today and using leverage to maximize your sales success. There's time for questions and answers. So if you've got questions along the way, just put them in the chat. I'm not looking at the chat while I'm looking at the screen and the slides and everything, but Nadi's looking at the chat and she'll shout those questions out towards the end. So let's get started. And first thing I like to do is to kind of motivate anyone that I talk to in the managed services space about just how big the market is that we're in. I know that it's been a really, really tough couple of years for a lot of industries, really tough. 
But managed services has been resilient and has always been resilient. And the reason for that is people need tech. It's an essential service. People need IT more than ever today to underpin their business. People often find it staggering when I tell them that the IT industry is $1.3 trillion. And this is from Gartner, based on the study that they undertake every year about the size of the market. And over a trillion dollars of that is just in IT services. And you might be thinking, hey, I'm just a little, little MSP in a small town or, you know, we're not trying to be a billion dollar or a trillion dollar business. And I totally get that. But often what we'll hear is people say there's not enough. But clearly the data suggests that there is enough, that there's plenty of opportunity out there. You've just got to go and prospect for it. And the only way that you're going to get ahead is if you focus the majority of your energy on prospecting for new business as opposed to fine tuning the business that you've got. I'll often tell our MSP partners that are growing, we are just like a thimble in an ocean. There's so much opportunity and no one service provider can take it all. So if you're looking around and thinking, hey, I've got all this competition, you really don't. And as benchmark, we get to see that at a macro level. And there's something else that's really, really big going on right now, which is that there is a skilled labor shortage worldwide. There's an acute skill shortage affecting every single industry, but especially the technology industry, especially the technology industry. And the reason for that, of course, is that we all went from kind of office-based work to remote work literally overnight. And that has put every single small business owner on high alert that they need to move with technology in order to keep running their business. So it's been a big investment period for businesses all over the world. But now what we're seeing is an acute skill shortage because people are working less, people are taking more time away. A lot of people have suffered as a result of COVID. But why is that important to you? Well, why it's important is that we're talking to all of these MSPs around the world and they're understaffed. They're grossly understaffed and their customers are suffering. And that now signals that the market is on the move. People are changing providers. They're looking for MSPs that, that can actually meet their needs. And a lot of MSPs, a lot of your so-called competition are not keeping up. And now's the time to start knocking on doors and talk to customers about whether they're getting the level of service that they expect from their managed service providers. At the same time, those same customers are time strapped. They don't have the time anymore to do everything because they're short staffed. And so they're looking for technology solutions from you. They're looking for ways to automate more. They're looking for ways to simplify. They're looking for ways to not have so many face-to-face -face type engagements with their customers anymore. And to do that, they need smart technology providers such as yourselves to do that. This is your competitive advantage right now. This is the flavor of the month. This is the thing to go in and start to talk about with your customers. And I want to share a quick story before we get into some strategies right now. And that is about one of our partners, Jeremy Johnson from Go Computers. Jeremy doesn't have a skill shortage because he outsources everything. He has one full-time person um, and that person is responsible for quotations. They're responsible for sending out bills. And Jeremy knocks on doors all day, every day, virtually or otherwise, to pick up new business. He's based in a regional town in Queensland, Australia. It's not world-renowned for technology. It's the Sunshine Coast. It's not world-renowned for big companies. But Jeremy knocks on doors every day. He works from home, and so does his colleague. And he's generating $1.8 million in annual revenue. We know MSPs that are fully staffed and fully stacked that are um, at that same revenue level and have way more, way more staffing and way more overhead than Jeremy does. So um, we asked Jeremy, what, you know, what is the secret? And he said, I focus 80% of my time on customer acquisition. And by outsourcing help desk and other fact and other facets of my business, I'm now one of the largest MSPs in my region, not one of the smallest. So it gives me the confidence to sell persistently without limitations. We talk a lot about the 80-20 rule of benchmark. It's also known as the Pareto principle. So you might have heard it before that, you know, 80% of your customers are, or sorry, 20% of your customers are delivering 80% of your revenue. You might hear that if you focus 80% of your time on sales, then you only focus 20% of your time on operations that you're going to get a bigger result. And we truly believe that. When you're actually in sales, when you're in the sales process, 80% of sales is listening and zoop, not talking. 80% of sales is listening or asking questions to try to evolve the opportunity. 
20% is showing value. So 20% might be your pitching, 20% might be responding to those questions that your customers are asking, 20% might be spent doing objection handling, but 80% is listening. And a lot of us are guilty of prescribing, going straight to a prospect and just talking and telling them what they should have. But I've always found that listening evolves opportunities more so. And most of us don't like objections. I would love to go to a sales meeting and they say, James, here's just, here's 50,000 bucks and we'll just put it in your bank account. We trust you and away you go and we're not going to ask any questions. But I actually find that those are the worst kind of opportunities. The ones where they don't ask questions are the ones that tend to go south. So I love objections. I want to hear as many objections as possible so that I can respond to them and flesh out and show the value of what it is that we offer as an MSP. Objections are an opportunity for a deeper and more insightful sales conversation. It enables you to ask more questions and unlock the buyer's true motives. Sometimes an objection will tell you that this buyer is not a fit at all, that they're not a prospect, they're a suspect. And that's okay. What we want to do is both manage our time and only focus our time and energy on the prospects that are going to convert into big deals for us. And one thing that we learned after running an MSP for nearly 20 years now is that we want to preempt objections. Sometimes a customer doesn't even know how to object. They don't know what questions to ask. So what we've done for some years now, both in Benchmark 365 and in our MSP called I Know IT, is that we send out a little FAQ. It doesn't need to be complicated, but it highlights some of the most common fears or worries or concerns about working with a managed service provider. And so we shoot that out ready to go. And then we have our first sales discussion. We try to have our first sales discussion after we've preempted as many objections as, as possible. The other thing that we've done for some years now is we've maintained our own little register of objections that we receive when we're having a conversation with a prospective customer. And for a long time, when I was focused almost solely on managed services sales, is I kept a cheat sheet on my desk that was ready to go in case I got asked a particular question in a sales conversation and I was able to respond to it. I also kept a copy on my phone and I've put together a PDF version of that, which I'll share with all of you at the end of this webinar. You'll be able to drop an email to Nadi and she'll send it out to you. The other thing that I've found leads to a lot of objections is the contract. Most of us wait until we think the deal is done and then we send our agreement or our MSA or our terms and conditions. But do you know that 90% of objections arise at the end of the sales process, not at the beginning? It's often when you think you've got a handshake and a done deal, and then you send the contract and then they send it to their lawyer. And that's when the real negotiations start. So I like to get my contract out to customers first, not last. And I'm going to talk to you about how to say that and how to time it. So that we, what we're effectively saying to our clients is let's get all the objections out on the table now. Let's do that as soon as possible so that we can free up our time to focus on solving this problem for your business. Now, some might call this, a, not call this an objection, but I do. And that is the, hey, I don't really want to talk much about what I want. I just want you to come to my office. Can you just come to my office and then I'll tell you what I want once you get there? And I call this an alpha play. So the alpha play is you come to my office on my terms and I'll decide how this process is going to go and I'll tell you what I want and you'll give me a price and then we'll sort of go from there. That's an alpha play. That's the customer saying, I want to control the sales process. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've got an opportunity and they want to have a meeting at the office, virtually or otherwise, I know times are changing right now, but if you have a meeting with, someone wants to have a meeting with you, there's nothing wrong with that. But what we wanna do is we wanna qualify and make sure we're not driving across town or setting up virtual meetings all day just to educate a prospect and not actually get a sale out of it. So what we wanna do is qualify. And when I'm asked to come to a meeting, I would reach out right away by phone or sometimes by email and say, what is it that you're looking for? Just so that I know that I'm prepared when I, get, when I drive across town and I come to your meeting, what is it that you're actually looking for? What do you need? And when do you need it by? I can't tell you how many opportun opportunities that we've come across where we've had the big meeting and they've said, yeah, we just wanted to learn um, from you and we're probably a year away from doing anything about this. And it's like, man, 
why couldn't we have spoken at least nine or 10 months from now? Maybe things will have changed by then. So when do you need it completed by? And if it's not urgent, maybe you want to hold off on that sales meeting, do some general introductions and move on to more serious prospects. The other thing, and it's a big misstep, and even to this day, I make this mistake from time to time, is pitching at someone that is not the economic decision maker, spending all of your time and energy talking to an office manager or a practice manager or, or someone, someone fairly low down the food chain when you're the business owner, you're the company owner, you want to deal with someone that's your equivalent at the prospect. And so finding out who the economic decision maker is is a way of, is ways of saying that to say, well, who are the stakeholders? Who are all of the parties that are going to be involved from the day I meet you to the day we say yes or no? Who, who do I need to be addressing? And what is the agenda for this meeting? I don't want to go across town or virtually or otherwise and sit down for an hour and not really have a real plan for that. I want to come prepared. And what I want to share with you today is selling is just like project management. Selling is project management. And too often, the customer takes control. We don't want the customer to take control. We want to position ourselves by saying, hey, this is not our first rodeo. We've done this so many times that we've got a tried and true methodology. And we're going to take you through that methodology. And it's going to take this amount of time. And this is how it's going to go. Does that work for you, Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect? And so selling is just like project management. It has stakeholders. Everyone needs to commit to the process. It has an agreed timeline with a beginning and an end. I'm going to share a very simple timeline in a moment with you. It has phases and there are exit doors. What does that mean? Well, it might be a four-week sales process, but if it's not going very well, we want to be able to say, hey, after a week, we've just realized this isn't going to be a good fit. And so we're not going to waste three more weeks on this exercise. So it has exit points. All good sales processes have entry points and exit points. And it only has two ultimate outcomes. It is a yes or a no. And of course, we don't want to hear no. We want to hear yes all the time. But we want to hear, we never want to hear maybe. We never want to hear maybe. We want to say, Mr. Customer, Mr. Prospect, Mrs. Prospect, we'd love to work with you. We have a finite amount of time to work on this exercise and we need to get to a yes or a no. Can you work with us through this timeline together? No maybes. And so this is a very simple sales process I've put together and there are lots of others. If you go back and listen to last month's webinar, we talk about a whole bunch of scenarios you can follow, but let's just talk about it like it's a four week process. And so we would say, hey, on week one, let's meet formally and learn more about your needs. We've had an introduction call. We've got a bit of an idea of what it is that you want, but let's sit down and really do this well. We're going to provide you with our terms. So we're going to give you our agreement and our other literature so that you can highlight any immediate concerns. Remember, we talked before about sending over an agreement. This is the week that you send the agreement. And you say, you've got a couple of weeks to analyze that. So please do, if you need to send it to your solicitor or you need to have a chat about it with a, with a lawyer, please do that right now so that we're not at the week four when you're suddenly reviewing this and we're finding out it's not a good fit. And during that first week, we're going to review any existing proposals or arrangements. So I like to position us whenever we're in a sales process as being a thought leader and an expert. And that means that I'm okay with them seeking other proposals. And I would love to talk with them about those other proposals and see what they object to. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well. Week two, we're going to conduct some technical audits or we're going to do some analysis work. We're going to look at your volume of work or we're going to look at uh, what sort of IT issues you're having or whether you've got any security concerns for us to look at. And we're going to establish a strategy and we're going to start to develop out a budget. And you're going to let us know if that budget is going to work for you. Remember, we talked before about exit points, getting price in as early as possible in a sales process. It doesn't need to be perfect, but by giving a ballpark early on, you will find out whether they're serious or not. If someone is walking you to the door at week two, there is no point proceeding. There is no point going back and back and back unless you can come to an agreement sooner or, or a different type of approach to their problem. And week three, you're saying it's time for you to review our proposal, address any contractual modification and speak with our references. And by week four, we're expecting a yes or a no from you. And so the process is 
saying to that customer, that prospect, do you and your colleagues have the time? And are you in the right frame of mind to work with us on an initiative to solve a problem for you? It's going to take about two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 months. Now, every program and every project is different. Some sales processes are an hour. Some are a day, some are a month, some are a year. But the point is telling the customer, this is how it's going to go and taking control of the process, making sure they're committed to it. Now let's get into some probing questions that can elicit objections that you can work with. So one is, what options have you already looked at? So you phoned me up today. We've done some, we've had a bit of a chat. I'm at your office. It's a pleasure to be here. But what options have you explored so far? And how many providers have you already spoken with? And this is a very, very powerful set of questions because the first thing I want to know is, where am I? Am I the first person here? If I'm the first person here, then I know that I am educating the prospect, that this is an educational process and that they are likely to take the education that I provide and look for another provider and get a little bit more education from them and then maybe even look for a third provider and get some education from them. So I wanna know where I sit in the process. I don't like to be first. And it's not, not uncommon for me to say, look, I'm really glad that you've called me, but it seems like it would actually be better for you to call a few providers. And I would love to come back once you've got some options on the table and we can talk about it. Otherwise, we might find ourselves in a situation where you're not entirely sure about my advice because there are other options out there. And let's, let's look at every possible facet of this and I'll come back as your trusted advisor. It's a, it's a play and not a lot of people are confident with this play, but I am confident with it because I know that I can put together an opportunity that works for that customer once they've been fully educated. If I'm second or third, or fourth or fifth or 10th, I'm like, well, why haven't you bought yet? Why haven't you bought from them? What is it that you do not like about those other options? And that helps me build my proposal. That helps me put something together to say, all right, they don't like it that way. So let's not do it that way. Let's do it differently. It also tells me if there's other options still in the mix. If there are still options in the mix, I want to know what they love about those so that we can see if we can do it as well. If they love the response time or they love the sort of brand of technology that they're using or that they love that they're local, whatever it might be, we're able to use that to put that in our proposal so that we've got a higher probability of winning. And a very powerful question that can elicit whether this is a serious opportunity or not is what are the consequences to you if this problem isn't fixed soon? So if I get shrugged shoulders, you know, if I say, hey, guys, you're all on Windows 7 and, you, you know, we're at 11 now and you really need to upgrade and these are the, these are the risks and they're like, nah, nah, we've gone this long, we can go longer. That is not a serious prospect. That is not someone that has enough pain that they're going to spend the kind of money that we need them to spend in order to spend several weeks on a sales process with them. And so what we're looking to do there is we're looking to try to build risk we're looking to show them what could possibly go wrong. But if we're still getting shrugged shoulders or meh, I don't know, maybe, maybe someday, then that's not an opportunity that we're going to spend a lot of time and effort working on. We're not going to lose sleep over that one. One of the biggest objections or flippant type things that happens during a sales process is, yeah, 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 yeah. Just send me a proposal. Yeah, no, 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 no need to talk anymore. Just send me a proposal. Just give me a quote. Just give me the dollars. I don't want to talk about it. And this is a, this is a way of the, the prospect controlling the sales process again. This is an alpha play. And the alpha play is, I'll, do, I'll work on this in my own time. I'm not going to work to your timeline. Email me a proposal. I'll look at it when I want to look at it. I'll make a decision when I want to make a decision. And I'm just not comfortable with that. As a sales leader, as someone that is designing a sales process and investing time and resource and mental energy into something, I want to know what goes in this proposal. I want to know everything about this prospect before I start. And so one of the most powerful questions you can ask when someone says, send me a proposal is, sure, what exactly would you like to see in the proposal? What is it that, you know, we've already talked for an hour so far. What is it that you'd like to see in there? What have I missed? 
And this is a great question because it leads to them opening up a little bit more. Yeah, I'd kind of like to see, you know, um, how you're going to solve this particular problem. Right. Okay, great. And so we can open up and have more questions. So it's a very powerful thing. Another thing that you can say is, what is it that we've spoken about that you'd like me to illustrate better? And this is often answered with things like, yeah, I want to really know if you're going to be responsive enough. Oh, I want to, want to really know who is going to be working on my account or who my account manager is going to be. And so this is a very powerful objection probing question. And are there any outstanding questions that you have yet that I'm, that I'm yet to answer just so that I can cover these clearly in the proposal? And more importantly, who's going to review this proposal? So we've just spoken and I've told you everything I have to know. I can certainly summarize it in an email. So who's the proposal for? And this can elicit whether there are other decision makers in the chain or whether this proposal might get forwarded on to another vendor, for example. Where's this proposal going? Just so that I can address it to the right people and I can put the right information in there. So this is very, very powerful objection probing that should be used every single time someone says, send me a quote or send me a proposal. It usually means there's lacking information and lacking confidence. And I love to say to every prospect I speak to, talk me through your decision-making process. I'm happy to send you a proposal, that's fine, but can you give me an idea of what, what happens there? Where does it go? And once we understand that, we can map it back to this sales process. Right, okay, I'm gonna send you a proposal and then by week three, do you think you'll have that fully reviewed and do you think we'll have a yes or a no by then? So this is how we control the sales process. And more on proposals is a proposal is simply a confirmation of everything that has already been discussed and agreed upon. A proposal is not something that should lead to sticker shock. A proposal should never lead to, I did not know it was going to cost this much, or I did not know you did it that way. That is not the purpose of a proposal. A proposal is there to illustrate everything that you've spoken about. And a proposal is there so that if there are other stakeholders that could not attend to the initial sales process, they could not commit to every meeting. It's something for them to flip through to ask more questions if the person that you're dealing with has not answered those questions. So a proposal is a confirmation of the sale. And I know that there are different um, philosophies around this, but I would avoid emailing proposals at all costs. Email proposals have two risks associated with them. One is sinking to the bottom of the inbox, never to be seen again. And the other is that it gets forwarded around the people that should not be reviewing that proposal. And that could be internally. It could be that it just gets forwarded off to a, to a, a decision maker that really should have been in the room, or it gets forwarded off to a competitor that takes all of those insights, builds it into their proposal and sends it back um, to your customer at a different price point. And so avoid emailing. And I think a really professionally presented bound proposal delivered to the front door or delivered by courier is the best possible way to um, show value to your prospect. One of the other major missteps that I see in a sales process is when a customer says, just look, you know, we don't need to talk anymore right now. Just give me a list of your customers, you know, four or five customers, give me their phone number and their name. And, you know, just, I just want to ring them at my leisure. I'll just call them, you know, when are you going to call them? Oh, I don't know, yeah, maybe tomorrow or next week. But yeah, just give me their names and numbers. That to me, it makes me very, very uncomfortable. Not because I don't have great reference points, not because I don't um, believe in the customers that we have, but it suggests that there are even more objections that have not been uncovered. It suggests that they're not confident in what it is that I'm telling them and that not enough trust has been built. So I would call a spade a spade and say, I would love to put you in touch with one of my prospects, or sorry, one of my customers, what is it that you would like to know? What is it? We've been speaking now for an hour, a day. We've been talking progressively over a couple of weeks. What is it that's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable? It's okay. Just let me know so that I can brief my customer so that when you call them, they can set your mind at ease about this particular issue. I would also speak to both the prospect and the customer and make sure you facilitate as much of this process as you possibly can. This should not be a random dial around to all of your customers. 
because your customer is not proficient at responding to references and your prospect is not necessarily proficient at reference checking. So we want to provide some guidance. And one of those guidance could be, hey, when you speak to my customer, ask them about that big issue that we solved last year. And we, we made a few mistakes. So tell them, ask them about the mistakes we made and ask them how we rectified it, right? And talk to your prospects and talk to your customer, the reference point, and say, they want to solve this problem. So could you focus your energy on this call about how we solve that problem for you? Let's not go off into the, all the random other things that have happened in our relationship over the last 20 years. Let's focus on what the prospect wants and how we solve that for your business. This is very, very, very powerful objection handling. Let's talk about some more objections. There's lots of them that are out there and I'm never gonna get through all of them today, but let's talk about some of the more common ones. One, one thing that we hear a lot is, I don't have the money. I don't have the budget for this. So we go to all this effort, we design a solution, we put it all together, everyone seems okay. And then the proposal gets delivered and it's like, oh, I can't afford that. I don't have the money. So I think budget is a very mature term that bigger businesses tend to use. And the question that I would ask in response to that is, can you help me understand how your budget works? Is it like an annual thing? Or is it a monthly thing? Or is it a quarterly thing? Do you do it on financial year? Do you do it on calendar year? Who owns the budget? Who controls the budget? And how is that budget being utilized right now? And are any of the vendors that are utilizing that budget now delivering? Or are there some concerns about that? Can you just help me understand total size of budget, how it's utilized, who is utilizing it, and why did you call me? Right. And so what we can do there is we're framing, okay, maybe you're not ready right now, but I'd like to come in at budget time again, or just before budget time with a solution to those problems that you've outlined today. So we want to understand the budget. Now, this tends to work with larger businesses where you're probably not dealing with the owner. You're probably dealing with someone in middle management. When you're dealing with a business owner, they say things like, it's too expensive. It seems to be a knee jerk response that we hear to a lot of things. It's just too expensive. Or can we have a discount? You know, I'm special and we're going to be a great customer. Can we have a discount? Or my favorite one, even though I'm really unhappy with them, my current provider is just cheaper. And what I would say to that question is, look, our pricing has been put together based on a cake. We've baked the cake. We've put all the ingredients in. It tastes amazing. It does the job. It's filling. It's got everything you need in it. It's the best cake ever. Which part would you like me to remove? Do you want me to take the icing off? Let's back up. Do you want me to take backup off? Do you want me to take cybersecurity monitoring off there? Malware, malware support? Do you want me to remove that? Do you want the response time to be higher? Could we do next, next day instead of same day? Do you want us to reduce the amount of time we spend on your account? Where, how can we help you without compromising the cake that we've baked? And this is a very good way to handle objections because what we can then do is start to break down the value that we offer. And we will often find that the client says, actually, I don't want you to take any of those things out. That's why I called you. And that's how we get us back to the price point that we're looking for. Here's an example of a cake that we never expected to be baked. And that is one of our partners, Zach Johnson from Aero CMS. Zach runs by virtue a small MSSP, Managed Services Security Provider out of the United States and largely does consulting work, but engaged Benchmark 365 a few years ago to do some SOC services. So to monitor incoming um, alerts from different um, security platforms that Zach's company uses and to respond to them and address them. And it's been a really powerful relationship. Um, and a couple of months ago, Zach came to us and said, um, I've got an interesting opportunity. I've gone into an oil and gas company and I started asking a lot of questions like you told me to, James. And I started to you know, really probe and query things. And the IT department resigned. The CTO resigned. And everyone's left. And now we've got this multi-hundred user environment. They've got no support. Can you stage up a quick, a quick solution? And we just happened to be in a good place right then and there for Zach. And we staged up a team and we started providing managed services to this big oil and gas company out in Houston, Texas, which was well beyond whatever we thought we'd be doing for Zach. 
And out of that, through more questions, Zach was able to unlock a $30,000 a month managed services contract and $180,000 in project work. And the next set of questions is actually leading to millions of dollars worth of deals that Zach's going to do as a very small entrepreneur based in the United States. And Zach said, because we outsource our help desk and project work to Benchmark, I'm able to focus on the customer. I'm able to focus on going to events. I'm able to focus my 80% on prospecting for more work, asking those big questions and getting big mid-size and enterprise level deals. And so the more we focus on sales and the more we focus on objection handling, the better we get at it. And Zach is living proof of that. Let's talk about high value objections. These are the objections that I actually enjoy hearing because they sometimes lead to much, much, much bigger contracts. And here's one of my favorites. I want you to change the SLA. I can see here that you're on best efforts or I can see here that it's a, a same business day on site or two hours on site, but I want you here in 10 minutes. I want a guaranteed resolution time. And I say to that, yes, absolutely. We can definitely do that. Thank you very much. We'd love to do that. Just so it's clear, I just need to let you know that we baked this cake and we baked it at $125 a user or $150 a user or $75 a user, whatever it is that you're out there charging. But we baked the cake at this price point and that did not accommodate that. Our response time is X. Our resolution time is best effort, but I can do it. And the way we're going to do it, Mr. Customer, is we're going to go and hire more people, dedicate them to your account so that there are eyes on your account at all times so that we can meet that SLA. Our cost per seat needs to increase by twofold. Are you okay with that? And you know what? Some people are. We did a massive deal in Victoria um, a few years back with a large law firm and exactly that. They wanted better. They wanted everything better. They wanted 24 hours a day. They wanted two times the, the response time that we offered. And we said, great, we need to hire. In this case, we needed five people added to their service. And they said, yes. And we put the price up and that's been a lucrative deal that we did for our MSP. Another really high value objection that I hear a lot is I want you to take on more liability when things go wrong. How many times have you sent your MSA to a prospective customer and they sent it to the lawyer and the lawyer struck out the liability clause? They just said, no, 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 you're, you know, your MSP is liable for everything that goes wrong here. I love it when they do that. I say, sure, look, again, we've put this together based on limited liability. I'm not a lawyer, so you need to get legal advice on this, but in my contracts, we have limited liability, limited to the amount that that um, business would spend with us. So we don't have multi-million dollar lawsuits coming our way because Fred's printer doesn't work, right? And so we explain that to the customer. We need to have a limited liability, but we can fix that. And we can do that by taking control of every single technology decision your business ever makes, having clear oversight and compliance over every single thing that we do for your business. And we need to run this past our lawyers and our insurance company, and they will likely put our premiums up. And when they put our premiums up, we will just match that by putting your seat fee up by X. Are you okay with that? Sometimes they are, most of the time they're not. They understand and the liability clause comes back into the contract. One of the other very interesting um, uh, objections that we hear is, we really want to work with you, but we just can't pay that price right now. Now, to me, this is different to the usual, I don't have budget, or it's just so expensive, these sort of flippant, you know, go away, give me a cheaper price. This is more where you think that you've got a really great customer, and maybe you've worked with them for a really long time, and they say, listen, I want to work with you, and it's just that we can't do it. Right now, it's, times are tough. And what I would say to that is, okay, we need to remove something that we do that won't affect the viability of your IT environment or impact our reputation. And what that might mean is we need to reduce the amount of effort that we spend on your IT. So rather than being an unlimited support company for you, we might cap it at 10 hours a month or 50 hours a month or whatever it might be. Or instead of giving you same day mirrored backup of everything that you've got, it might be next day. It might take us 24 hours to recover you because we need to use a different technology. And so there are answers to everything. Objections are so powerful because they either put the customer back into the framework that you want them to be in, into the pricing guidelines that you need them to be in, or it unlocks bigger opportunity for your MSP. And that's why I think it's great. 
So recapping, objections are good. Objections are actually good. The more objections we get, the more likely we are to respond to those and put the right information in the quote or proposal and get the deal done. In order to save you a lot of time, we need to preempt those common objections. Send them in advance. Hey, these are the top 10 things that people ask about our MSP. Here's the answers. And then that way, you're saving the prospect time of calling you out for a meeting and you're saving yourself time answering the same questions ad nauseum. Sales is 80% listening. The more you listen, if there are unanswered questions, you're not going to get the deal. There are two very risky clients, in my opinion. One that never asks any questions. They're the ones that get the most upset when things don't go their way because you don't know what their way is. Or ones that ask a lot of, want to ask a lot of questions but don't get them answered because you're too busy prescribing. Don't prescribe, just ask and do not put a proposal together until every single question has been asked and answered. Design and control the sales process. You're the alpha. You're not a victim. You're not a mark or a target. Your job is a, as a professional to win-win and meet the prospect where they're at and say to them, hey, I've actually got a lot going on right now, but I want to pause and spend the next few weeks with you to get this, um, this problem solved for your business. Are you committed to that? And what that means is no crickets. No, like I sent you a proposal and it's been six months and I haven't heard back what's going on. There is a timeline. And if you don't hit here a yes, no, or an extension, a professional extension of that timeline, then it's time to walk away and come back to it when this prospect is ready to do business. A proposal is a confirmation of what has already been verbally agreed to. Don't try to get married on the first date. You might be lucky sometimes, but there's not too many marriages that go well after the first date. So um, slow it down, slow it down. One week, two weeks, four weeks, whatever it takes to get it right and then send them a proposal to confirm that you're proceeding. Use pricing objections to, uh, to show value. Pricing objections are good. It is what would you like me to add or what would you like me to take away? That's what pricing objections are. The more time you focus on sales, the better you get at conquering objections. And the only way you're going to get good at sales is if you dedicate time to it. I know that I was, you know, up until about seven or eight years ago, I was all IT. I was all technical. And so I wasn't good at sales. When I went to a sales meeting, I would either freeze up or I didn't have the answers. I didn't have the responses. And so I would lose a lot of business. But when I started starting my day by prospecting and starting my day by listening to sales um, podcasts and reading books about sales and going to sales seminars instead of IT seminars, I got better and better and better at selling and my companies grew and grew and grew. And so I encourage you, if you're in a technical role today, there are ways to reduce your workload so that you can dedicate yourself to a sales function. Anyone that's looking for more sales objections and how to respond to them, please drop an email to Nadi at hello at benchmark365.com and there's a PDF document that will send you. I recommend you blue tack that thing to your desk or you put it on your phone so that when you're in a sales conversation, you can, you can start to memorize these and you can start to use it as a cheat sheet. I literally had this until it was yellowed on my table. You know, the, the paper had started to fray because I wanted to be um, immaculate at responding to sales objections. And we need to do that so that we can win more business. We'd also love to hear from you and see if you're interested in working with Benchmark 365. We're a very flexible service provider. We offer 24 by 7 by 365 help desk support to MSPs. The majority of our partners either work with us in an augmented fashion or we are their full-time 24 by 7 help desk. We have different programs to meet you where you're at. Anything from our accelerator program, which is great for startup MSPs, all the way through to our scale program, which can suit MSPs of all shapes and sizes that are looking for level three support and have lots of customers that they need looked after. Why would you outsource your help desk? Well, first of all, it's hard to find people right now. Most MSPs we speak to are struggling to find talent. Wages are skyrocketing. Inflation is skyrocketing. And a lot of people are hitting the exit doors from the MSP and going and working for bigger companies. We solve that problem. But more importantly, we give you 80% of your time back to focus on growth or whatever it is that you want out of your life. Some people just want a lifestyle MSP. But most say to me, James, I want to grow my MSP. What do I do? You need to get off the tools. 
once you're off the tools and someone else is doing the tech work, even if they're only 80% as good as you were, that's 80% of your time freed up and then delivering a result to your customer. The good news is most, most of the time we're 100% as good as the people that we've worked with. We cost 50 to 70% less than traditional hiring and that's because we work on a fractional basis on a monthly subscription. So we save MSPs 50 to 70% on labor cost. Every single program we offer is 24 by seven by 365. You only pay for what you use, which further reduce your costs. You're not paying for people to sit there and do nothing. When we're not working for you, we're working for someone else. And that's how we're able to offer such flexible and competitive programs. You can scale up or down whenever you choose. We actually work with you one-on-one -on -one in sales. So lots of our partners will call up and say, hey, I've got an opportunity like Zach back here. Wouldn't that be great? A $30,000 a month MSP deal, $180,000 project straight off the bat. Those opportunities do exist. And we are a monthly no lock-in contract. You can sign up with Benchmark, be live in 15 days and work with us on a month-to-month -month service so there's no risk. So maybe Nadi, over to you, just on how can people get in touch with you and um, what does that process look like from there? Anyone who is interested in inquiring about our services, you can reach out to me via my email. It's hello at benchmark365.com. You can also log on to our website um, and chat. Uh, my Australia phone number is, uh, that's 0291607668. I'll also keep in touch to see what your thoughts are about the webinar. So please expect a call from me. Uh, or an email. Uh, some of you have already requested for a copy of the cheat sheet. So I have noted your email addresses and I'll be sending those over to you. Awesome. Thanks, Nadi. And she's not lying. She's 24 hours a day. I've literally, I've, I've literally had to get in touch with Nadi at 3 a.m. and she's re replied and I've had to speak to her at 2 p.m. and she's replied. So I don't know when you sleep, but please take, take some rest at some point, Nadi. And um, get back to these folk when they when they contact you. Um, is there any questions from the audience um, about sales objections or about benchmark? I, I there are questions. I'll read them for you, James. Um, you talked about the different pricing plans earlier, and one of the questions from Shahik is: Does your services include on-site support? That's a great question. So we don't specifically do on-site support. We're a remote twenty-four by seven help desk. However, most of our partners interface with one another. So we have partners all over the world, um, all over Australia, all through the United States, all through the UK, New Zealand, and so on. So what we'll generally do is if someone's looking for on-site work is we can help put you in touch with an appropriate person that can help you. I hope that answers the question, Shahid. If you have a follow-up, just send it over. And we also have another Question from Don, is, is it a good idea to publish common objections in an FAQ on collateral or website or tailor it to an individual prospect? Yeah, I think um, like what I've found is a, there are standard sort of questions and there are questions that you want to kind of lead your prospect as well, right? Like there are things that they don't know to ask. And so an FAQ is a great way of showing value. Like, did you know that we're 24 hours a day, seven days a week? It could be posed as, are you 24-7? Or do you do on-site work? You know, so these, these are sort of like leading questions that you can provide to an un uneducated prospect and you can put them on your website. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing that or put it in a PDF. And yeah, there's nothing wrong with tailoring. My concern largely is around my time. A lot of my sales... Um, Success, I would say, Don, is around minimizing the amount of time I spend customizing and minimizing the amount of time I spend on prospects that aren't going to buy. And so I've tried to um, boilerplate a lot of the things that I do just as a starting point, just so that I can send that, answer some initial questions, and then cut to the chase once we're on a call together. Any other Thanks, questions? James. Yes, we have one more from Don. How do you manage SOPs? Do you help us develop them or do you need them well-developed in advance? Are we talking about support SOPs, like help desk SOPs? Don? Yes, cool. <laughs> it's good to see you, Don, as well. It's been ages. Um, yes, yes and yes. 
So we work with some MSPs have what we would refer to as kiosk level documentation. And that is that like everything is follow the bouncing ball. Everything is very, very well oiled, very well documented and ready to go. They're rare, but they exist. And in those cases, we would onboard their process and we'll follow their process. For others, we have a defined kind of like um, some boxes to fill out, if you will. And we even provide a free documentation platform called Smart Docs, and you can fill out the boxes, follow the bouncing ball on Smart Docs, or you can use IT Glue or whatever other platform you're comfortable with. We're fine with either. Um, and so we'll provide guidance on that. And what we also do, Don, is we do a pilot program. So even the most well-documented, standardized MSPs, there's always a gap. And I always use the, the analogy I always use is Karen's bubble jet. <clears throat> Let's talk about Karen's bubble jet. Karen phones up. It's usually Christmas Eve at about 4.30 in the afternoon. Karen phones up and says, I urgently, urgently need to print something on my bubble jet. And no one has any documentation for it. No one knows where it is. There's no diagram. And what has happened is that that's happened every year for the last 10 years. And the MSP just fixes it. And they never document it. And when we start as benchmark working with an MSP, we haven't seen it either. And so these are the edge cases that no matter how much you try to document everything, we're going to come across an edge case and we're going to have to work with you to document it. And we'll often document that for you or um, like as a tacit thing, or we have documentation specialists in our organization that can document entire environments and process end to end. I hope that helps. And what's a bubble jet? Well, you'd be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> They're still out there, man. <laughs> Any other questions, guys? Yeah, there's one more. Uh, can we or our customers establish ongoing relationship with specific operators? Yes. So um, everything at Benchmark comes down to what, what level you're at with us. Um, so we're a fractional service provider but we assign pods to every MSP that we work with. And some pods are massive because we're doing thousands and thousands of tickets a week for those companies. And some pods are really small because we're only doing a very small amount. But what will happen is that familiarity is built with the pod leaders and with our customer success team. So we're trying to overcome the issue that most MSPs face, which is direct relationship with one resource. We assign a group of people and personnel within that group can be interchangeable based on a number of factors. One factor might be is they're just not a good fit for your pod. So we can work with you to say, hey, we're gonna put Sally in the pod and we're gonna put Adrian in a different pod because they're just not clicking. Um, for you. Or it could be that there are um, dispatch personnel that if we're just taking calls for you and a few others, the chances are your customers are talking to those same personnel over and over again. So we're trying to overcome that, that kind of like, well, what would happen if someone got hit by a bus, right? Then we lose all the knowledge, but we, we work in teams that share the knowledge. And we also have a training team that keeps a bank of knowledge so that every time we get a new staff member, we turn the key, ramp them up, and that saves you additional cost in hiring and training. 100% as well. I can see the next question up there. Do we work with RMM, um, Datto RMM and Datto PSA? Yes, we integrate with Datto PSA and we work with any RMM that you provide to us. Thank you everyone for attending the show. The more you learn, the more you earn. Benchmark is an education-oriented organisation. We even have an academy um, where we train people on technologies and we have a podcast, we have a book out there and we'll be running these webinars every month as well. So visit benchmark365.com, visit the podcast page. I recommend you start at episode one. If, you can, um, if you've got the bandwidth, have a listen to it while you're not busy fixing tickets, um, but check it out. We've put a lot of content in there on sales, marketing, operations, mindset, finances, pretty much everything that we've come to learn over 20 years running successful MSPs. Also, we're giving away a free copy of the book, Infinite Scale, as well. Visit our website, check it out, grab a copy. Thank you very much and talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to get your own copy of Infinite Scale, just go to benchmark365.com. And if you have any comments, feedback or suggestions for future podcast episodes, just drop us a line at hello at benchmark365.com. Thanks for listening.